The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to the Money Answers Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, the Money Answers Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman. Welcome to the Money Answers Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Beth Eby. She's the principal at Eby Financial, based in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, she is a well-known financial planner. Welcome to the show, Beth. Hey, Jordan. It's good to be with you. Let's just start with a little bit of your background and uh, your experience leading up to uh, founding your own firm here. Sure. Um, so I'm so excited to be on your show. You have so many um, investing thought leaders on your program. I listen and learn from them, too. My work is in the day-to-day where, like I say, where life and money meet. And sometimes they get along and sometimes they fight with each other. <laughs> I work with people on issues like um, how to have the money to invest and whether to put the next dollar in retirement or a college plan and how to enjoy your hard work today but still be wise about the future and that kind of thing. So I run a practice, like you said, of investments and insurance in San Antonio, Texas, which, by the way, is a great place to live and work. And people, you know, pretty typical of what's happening around the country, they're figuring out day-to-day how to get the life they want out of the money they have. I'm the financial services professional you might work with wherever around the country you call someone in your neighborhood to work with you. I think I got my unique perspective on this industry from a decade, frankly, doing other things. I managed a city in a previous life, um, a relatively small city, but where people have, you know, big dreams like everybody has, and a natural disaster hit there. So I saw up close and personal how... Your plans can be derailed by things that you never imagined would happen. I worked in international development banking after that, helping sort of laying the case for making investments of scarce resources today for payoffs in the future. And then I worked um, for an agency that was a pioneer in homeland security, and so you certainly there get the big picture of planning and being prepared and trying to protect your way of life. So... The transition to financial services was natural for me. I'd always managed money. And working in, in government for those years, I saw that colleagues of equal means would end up in vastly different places by retirement because of small changes that they'd made. And I know, Jordan, you've written about this and talked about it on your show many times about how like small changes in the amount of return you get or in the fees you pay can make big differences in the long term. Now I like to have a visual. So I think about, like in high school, where they'd show that word problem and show a map of the United States and two trains starting from the same point, both heading across the coast, and, and they're off by just an imperceptible amount. But over a 1,000 miles, it becomes huge. And so I did the math on that. If you're off by five degrees of difference in a trajectory, after a 1,000 miles, you're 100 miles apart. And so I like to think about that in my work, that, just a barely imperceptible difference can make a huge difference in the long term. And so I decided to become the kind of advisor that can have smart discussions with smart people about smart ideas. Great. Well, one of the things you always say is uh, you should not go it alone, that in fact you should have a team. Um, so you're, you're not 
everything to all people. You, you have a team as well. What are some of the elements of a team of financial pr- providers that people who have decent means uh, should have in order to be able to uh, cover all the bases? Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm a big believer in the team, and um, it doesn't really matter who the quarterback is as long as the whole team gets to where you want to go. Um, the financial advisors can be nosy, as we say. You know, we want to know everything about somebody. Uh, how much is your car insurance, and how much is your home covered for? And you sometimes go into an advisor and you wonder, why do they want to know that stuff? Well, if we do a great job of managing a portfolio and make great gains in your portfolio, but you've been driving around all this time in your car with the minimum liability coverage. You get in an accident, you can wipe out all that hard work in an instant. So it's important to have your property and casualty insurers on your team. If you hire someone to fix your fence and they trip on your front yard and sue you because they're out of work, you can wipe out years and years and years of your own hard work. So You've got to have your other insurers, your property and casualty insurers, part of your team. You need to have your attorney, whoever is working with you on your will. And if you have a more complicated life on, on your trust and your you know, other instruments you might have to protect your family, that has to be part of the discussion, too. Because, again, if you're not prepared for estate taxes or prepared for splitting your assets among your family members at your death, you might find yourself losing half of what you save to, to um, taxes that were not necessary. You um, really need to have the person, if you're a business owner, the person who's helping manage your business should be part of the discussions because it often becomes difficult to disentangle your personal from your business interest. So the more you can bring a team of people together, your banker should be one of those as well, your banking um uh, Options often can affect you financially as well. And if you can, once every couple of years, get them all in the same room. At least get them on the phone every once in a while. You could authorize them to speak to each other so that they can share information that you specifically authorize. Um, certainly the person who does your taxes is the lead on that usually, but you can have the whole team talk to them, and they should recognize that they're working for you as a team. You should be bolstered by the smartest people you can have around you. And even people of middle income are often paying someone to do their taxes. They're paying a banker. They might as well be getting them to work together as a team. So what is your role, as you would say, the quarterback of that team? Because uh, in many cases, the client wouldn't even know what questions to ask. So what is your role in, in getting them all coordinated on the same direction? Yeah, that's right. Often people don't know the questions to ask, and they should be relying on those experts to ask on their behalf. So... I want to know, um, with your group benefits, for example, are you maximizing the benefit of those? Are they invested properly? Someone's name is on that statement you get every month. Are they earning their money by making sure that you're rebalancing your investments and doing the things you should be doing? My role, um, whenever I make an investment choice for someone, there are trade-offs. Sometimes you get a tax deferral, and sometimes you're choosing to forego a tax deferral for some other benefit. And those things will affect your taxes at the end of the year, so your accountant has to be involved. So I'll often pick up the phone when a client's in the office and call their accountant and say, what if we took the Roth option in the 401k this year instead of the traditional option? That'll mean we're going to pay more taxes, but as we're close to retirement and we're worried about maybe taxes won't go down, we have that tax discussion. So the client is not left going from advisor to advisor and trying to tell the same story. 
Yeah. What is the biggest issue you're seeing today? I mean, my sense is people worried about outliving their money, um, that they maybe haven't saved enough, they're going to live longer. Uh, that's where the concern about. But you tell me, what is the biggest issue you hear that you have to deal with these days? Certainly outliving your money is a big issue. I, I think in general, the, the trade-off between having a good life today and saving for retirement tomorrow, especially people with the families feel like they want to be able to do for their kids while they're here. Um, I have uh, couples with no kids who want to be able to do the traveling while they're still healthy. So uh, for me, it's a, kind of a question about living your money. It's like, what can I do today and enjoy my life and still have enough? So kind of that balance that leads to, will I outlive my money? Um, you know, the, um, I think that people um, recognize that the higher they get in the pyramid at, at the office, the less secure their job is, so more and more mergers and acquisitions. And, you know, if your company is acquired by a competitor or merged in with a competitor, they probably still need the same number of people assembling products, but they don't anymore need two vice presidents of human resources. So people are worried about peaking younger, I think, um, and that increases pressure on the long term. So tell me a story about that. Tell me a story without the name, obviously, of a client. (laughs) <laughs> got squeezed out of a company, and, and what kind of advice you gave him to deal with a, probably something that was a surprise to them? Sure. Um, I do a lot of work in healthcare, and so um, I have a, a client or couple that work for the same company and um, doing very well, you know, living the American dream and taking their great vacations and living within their means, um, you know, driving a couple-year-old cars and living in a moderate home. But a uh, company was acquired, and one was squeezed out, and so... Their plans were pretty much derailed at that point, not able to replicate that income in a new environment, um, not able to replicate the benefits or the income. So, you know, you take a hard look at reality and say, well, how can we adjust? And so um, maximizing every dollar of the benefits of the one who's still employing the corporation, maxing out the 401k, making sure to get the match, um, and then being realistic about what you can afford to spend. Um, people find often that losing those benefits is not as much of a hit as they thought as long as they can you know, get, still get health insurance through the one partner. Um, the match on the 401k is a nice thing to have, but at 3% of the salary is the general rule these days. It's not huge. So it wasn't so much the benefits, it was the, uh, the lost income potential for the long term. So we ran things through the calculators that everyone in my business has, and we found ourselves a little short in retirement. So we started adjusting things like um, a second home, uh, new cars, and they came to some peace with kind of stretching out those great vacations, maybe every other year instead, um, finding ways that they could squeeze money out, and recognizing that it's what everyone lives through. It's just the way life goes. And so it wasn't a pleasant thing. And it's after six months of realizing that it's not coming back to where it was, readjusting. Um, you can often replicate group benefits outside of a group for a similar cost. Um, some group plans are just terrific, and you just can't beat the power of that, that buying power that a big company has. But often if you're healthy, if you're still in shape, if you don't, live a dangerous lifestyle if you don't smoke and jump out of airplanes and do things that insurance companies consider um, risky, you can replicate things like your disability insurance and your life insurance outside. And so they ended up in a pretty good place. 
Yeah, it must have been quite a shock, though. But to replace that income, uh, particularly you know, if you're in your 50s or 60s, it's going to be very difficult. I guess a lot of people in that circumstance realize they can't do it and start their own businesses in many cases. And you have a whole section we're going to discuss next on things to watch out for when you start your own business, because that seems the way, the way a lot of people are going these days. They do. The other thing that happens a lot is people start to think about what I guess we're calling blended retirement, kind of getting off the corporate track, um, the pressure of the constant increases and growing in responsibility in the company and realizing that instead of um, working a few more years, what you can do is retire but take on some part-time work. And if you've retired after a long career at a big corporation with tremendous skills, there are lots of companies that would like to have you part-time. You no longer need, they don't need to pay for benefits for you anymore because you have them from someplace else. And you don't have the pressure of, you know, constantly worrying about getting the next increase or keeping ahead of your peers. It's a nice place to find yourself in retirement, and it's a very nice thing for a company to be able to hire somebody like that. A few very years good. ago, it wasn't so common to be able to fit that in, but I think more and more it's becoming the norm. Very good. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My, best, my uh, guest this hour is Beth Eby. She's the principal at Eby Financial in San Antonio, Texas. Uh, her website is ebfin.com. Uh, We'll be back after this. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. If you want to know about investing in emerging and frontier markets, or if you have experience in this field but still need to know more, tune in to Emerging and Frontier Markets Investing with Gavin Graham. Gavin explores news, current trends, and insights about both categories of investing. His guest experts, along with his own knowledge, will help you stay above the line when it comes to growth potential, whether in funds or equities. He will look at what to invest in and avoid. Tune in to Emerging and Frontier Markets Investing with Gavin Graham every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you know that over 70% of Americans with severe disabilities are unemployed? Are you one of the 2.5 million Americans with epilepsy? If you are or know someone struggling with these issues, tune in to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. On the show, Joyce will discuss these issues as well as others. She will have a nationally known guest that will offer helpful insight on disability matters and let you, the listener, call in with your questions and concerns. So if you struggle with a disability or know someone who does, listen to Disability Matters with Joyce Bender. Heard every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time here on VoiceAmerica.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Beth Eby. She's the principal at Eby Financial based in San Antonio, Texas. 
Her website is ebyfin.com. Welcome back to the show, Beth. Hi, Jordan. Now, you have a way of what you call looking at things upside down to identify potential solutions in a lot of areas of personal finance. One of the main ones is to rethink retirement savings. So people have a certain view of it. What are some of the ideas that you have that are a little bit different than what most people think about as far as retirement savings? Yeah, Jordan, I like to dissect things and sort of do away with assumptions. And, you know, um, so there are a lot of adages out there that are good to get us thinking, but in reality, we need to question whether they work precisely. So one of them is that have three to six months of your savings in something really secure, right, in an emergency cash fund. So this is money that is not meant to be getting money in the market. Its only job is to sit there and wait in case there's an emergency, right? You need a new roof, a new car, you get laid off, someone has a funeral across the country, you have to go. Well, if, um, you know, these days, three to six months may not be enough, um, but instead of... um, stopping everything else and just filling that up, I tell people to maybe think about 6 to 12 months as a better number. So split the difference. Don't jump into one or jump into the other. Maybe what you can do is cut back on your 401k investing just enough to where you still get your match because that's free money. Um, Can't let that sit on the table if you're really into money management. But then save the rest outside of your 401k because if you need to get a hold of that money, getting it out of a 401k is an expensive way. Right? You've got to, taxes and penalties. It's an inefficient way to, to have to fund an emergency. So get the match and then save outside. Isn't that very difficult, though, for people to do 6 to 12 months? I mean, that's kind of unrealistic, it seems, to put that much aside in something today that would be earning nothing, a savings account or checking account. It would have zero earnings. Right, and I don't mean zero earnings. I just mean ready cash. So maybe you put it in um, part of your portfolio that's um, invested in something a little bit less risky. The problem is if you invest it fully and the day you need it is on a down day, tough to get it out. And so uh, you're right, though. You don't need all of that. You don't need six to 12 months of money on day one. You're going to need it over time. But the higher you are up a corporate ladder, the longer it's going to take you to find a job. And people being out of work for six months now is not uncommon in between jobs. So you just might have to cover that. So um, when you talk about 6 to 12 months of savings, I'm not talking about a whole year's worth of income in something that's non-interest bearing. I'm talking about maybe making sure that you could cover your mortgage for that period. So take a reasonable amount of time and a reasonable amount to live on if things were tight and consider building up your savings a little higher than you have been. So that's three to six months. Three months, I think, today is definitely too little. And where would you put that, say it's six months, where would you put that that's liquid but still earning something? Yeah, I would put it in a, in a brokerage account and put it in some kind of a conservative investment that is, um, you know, a, a conservative allocation fund, maybe even a moderate allocation fund, so that you're getting some earnings on it, um, but that you're not putting it at risk, and so it's not subject to the vicissitudes of the market, and the day you need it happens to be a down day, because that's also an expensive way to fund something. Yeah. So now, you also say that, that one of the other things you say is that maxing out your 401k may not be enough. That's kind of gospel that you should max out your 401k. You, you don't think that's often the best way to do it? I think that it's not enough, generally. Um, you know, in a, on a good day, if you're secure about your income, on a good day, um, maxing out your 401k is a great idea to get a match, but it's not going to be enough to fund your retirement. We just can't assume that because this is a number created by the IRS that if we save that much, we're going to be okay in retirement. So, so that alone is not enough. But then also, on a tight, if you're if you're worried about the future of your company, 
um, socking your money away into a 401k that's going to be expensive to get out if you're going to need to live for six months can also be expensive. So I think people should be realistic about how secure their job is and always be looking down the road and hedging their bets. And then you say that employment um, is, is different than it has in the past. You should not assume it's going to be long-term, uninterrupted, and you're going to get raises all the time. Um, so that's a, a hard thing for people to, to grasp, but I guess that's the reality today. It's very hard. Um, you know, we all want to think that our peak earning years are still ahead of us, but the reality is that sometimes we're peaking earlier, and it's a real, it's a real problem because if pensions are based on your last several years of retirement of work, or if you're counting on those years, maybe when your kids are out of college and it's just the two of you now and you can really stock away money, those may not be your peak earning years. So um, we don't want to assume that income is always going to go up. Um, it's it's often not the reality. So, you know, to be constantly checking those things, to be running your retirement projections through calculators that, that can adjust all the time. It's a great idea, you know, this set it and forget it, to look at taking money out of your income and setting it away and not thinking about it again. But what happens is that you, as your income goes up, if you're not also increasing your savings, pretty soon you're spending like you make 200 and saving like you make 50, and the reality is probably somewhere in between. So um, I just, you know, you need to stay active in those things, constantly checking them for future allocations and rebalancing and not assuming that you're always going to be making more someday. When you're at a point where you're, you know, where your income outstrips your spending, you really should be taking the opportunity to stock it away because it may not happen in the future. And it's, it sounds like doom and gloom, but I have some more upside-down thinking that makes spending happier. <laughs> if you have maxed out your 401k, what your company allows you to do, what would be the next place that you should put money? Uh, the next thing you should be doing is, um, you know, assuming you've already got a nice, comfortable saving somewhere that's secure, you should be putting it into regular investments. You should be... You know, listening to Jordan Goodman's show and learning about great places to invest. Um, you know, if you can, if there are still places you can get some tax deferral, not a bad thing. Some places where you can um, get some guarantee. You know, if you've got a pension from a solid company, you consider that a guarantee, but it's really not a guarantee. Pensions are not guaranteed. So if you can find something, some kind of a product that gives you a little piece of your portfolio as a guarantee, that's a good addition to have. Um, if you can uh, do some things that have a little more tax deferral, good things to have. But if nothing else exists, put it in a brokerage account and be investing in mutual funds and watching them, getting some good advice and growing your wealth. You talk about making subtle shifts that have a big impact in the long run. Mm -hmm. You talk about catch-up contributions, for example. What are some Mm -hmm. of the subtle shifts that people can make from traditionally the way they're doing retirement savings to do it better that would have a big impact long-term? So I again, I like to think about um, projecting. If you if you think about every year that you work now, you may be living two years in retirement. You know, when we created things like the Social Security system, people lived less than a half a year in retirement for every year they worked. And now the now the the situation is flipped, and you may live two years for every year in retirement. So to think about having to save for two years worth of retirement every year you work now is pretty much it's a pretty big burden. But if you think about getting to 65, the money that you're going to spend the next year is the money you saved in your 20s. So it's been growing for 40 years. The last dollar you save is the money you're going to spend when you're 90. So thinking about it that way makes you understand the power of compounding and the power of saving early. 
So people are much better off to be saving smaller amounts earlier than waiting until that day when they're at their peak earnings and stocking it away. It really does make a difference, like our parents told us, to start saving a little percentage of every paycheck. It adds up. Um, I know you've written about and talked about the power of compounding interest. And uh, so a dollar saved today is more valuable than a dollar saved tomorrow. Um, People can think about things like looking ahead to when there will be changes. Maybe it's not an increase, but maybe it's the time when your car is paid off. So suddenly there's a couple hundred dollars more a month. I like to tell clients that um, if money is not buying happiness, it just means you're not spending it right. You should be getting joy out of the money that you're earning. So when you pay off a car, have a party, take a month or two of that car payment and spend it on something that you wouldn't otherwise have. Go buy a new TV for the house or whatever it is that makes you happy. And then, and then save that money. That's an increase that you just got. When you get a tax return, spend a piece of it and save the rest of it. Anytime money comes in from various sources that's outside of your income, you know, think about spending a little bit of it but then putting the rest of it away. So you kind of split the difference between, um, you know, satisfaction today and money saved for the future. When people have to choose between having money growing tax-deferred, like an IRA or 401K, versus tax-free in a Roth IRA, municipal bond, uh, various insurance products, what are the pros and cons of, of doing it one way or the other? Uh, well, certainly not paying taxes today is always a good thing. You know, you give up, you, uh, you get the benefit of taxes today for the promise of taxes tomorrow. When we started these systems 40 years ago plus, the assumption was that you'd be in lower tax rates in retirement. That is pretty much across the board a dangerous assumption, though, for a couple of reasons. Um, people don't want to retire at less of a lifestyle than they have now. They still want to travel and do those things that they do in retirement. Um, and also, we're in very low tax rates now, and the likelihood is that taxes will increase in the future. So the assumption that paying taxes later would be cheaper than paying taxes now is something you need to examine carefully. So taking the hit today, um, foregoing the tax break today, and doing something like investing in a Roth IRA or these days with more and more 401Ks having a Roth option, a Roth Roth 401K, you take the tax hit now, but then you never have to worry about the taxes again. So your money can continue to grow and multiply. And in some cases, you know, two and three and four doubles you'll get between the time you retire now might be a better option. Likely, you know, if you, if you split the difference and did a little bit of both and taxes stayed the same, you'd be in about the same place. So I always recommend that people sort of take a little bit of advantage of both. You're assuming, you're, you're assuming the taxes are going to go up in the future, so it makes sense to have some of it in tax-free vehicles like Roth IRAs or, or, or Roth 401ks, because I think a lot of people are going to have a lot of money in tax-deferred accounts, and when they retire and start having to take it out at 70 and a half, they're going to be surprised at the amount of taxes they're going to have to pay from all those years of deferral. I agree with you. I, I think that um, it's a pretty fair assumption that taxes are not going to go down between now and the time people in their 50s are going to retire, and they might go up. Indeed. And, and people are going to get surprised. They think, oh, I'm not paying taxes on this, and then all of a sudden they hit the required minimum distribution at age 70 and a half, and then they have to pay taxes for 14 years or whatever it is on all those many, many years of tax deferral. Agreed. I tell people today, when you look at your 401k balance, just deduct the third because it doesn't really belong to you anyway. It's going to go away. 
That's right, for sure. Very good. Okay, I'm going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Beth Eby. She's the principal at EB Financial in San Antonio, Texas. Her website is ebyfin.com. We'll be back after this. Stocks, bonds, investment opportunities, financial news, and talk. We can help. Call us now toll-free, 866-472-5790. 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. In sales, are you a lion or a vulture? Lions don't wait. They just go for it. Vultures hang around until the lions are finished and just pick up the scraps. How can you set yourself apart as a lion? Join the other aspiring sales lions and listen to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with host Ty Maynard. You'll learn the tips and strategies of top sales professionals. You'll gain more clients at a faster rate and at higher margins. If you're a sales professional, business owner, or executive, listen in every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Is your business model robust enough? In today's ever-changing business environment, people are working to transform themselves, their futures, and their business. Tune in to Business Reinvention with your host, Nancy Lynn. To stay ahead of the game in business, you have to constantly reinvent yourself and your organization. With Nancy's experience and that of her guest experts, you'll learn from stories of inspiration, innovation, and forward thinking. Listen for Business Reinvention, live every Monday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this, this hour is Beth Eby. Uh, she's the principal at Eby Financial in San Antonio, Texas. Her website is ebyfin.com. Welcome back to the show, Beth. Glad to be here, Jordan. So we want to talk about insurance a little bit here. You say you should hedge your long-term bets in various ways, particularly long-term care. What are some of the things people should do to make sure they're covered if they live a long time and have health care needs that are not covered by Medicare or regular health insurance? Right. So people often assume that there's going to be a social program and take care of long-term care. And the truth is that except for a benefit of 20 or 30 days, uh, it doesn't pay for things like care in a nursing facility or care to come to your home. So long-term care becomes an issue for people. Um, it's an interesting thing to work on because when you buy long-term care insurance, you buy a benefit. So, for example, you can say you find out in your community that the average, an example where I live, the average is about $160 a day to live in a long-term care facility. And so generally we think about this for people who are old, but people who get disabled younger for various reasons end up in those facilities. So you buy a a, a long-term care coverage that covers a certain number of days. Well, 
you can buy a Cadillac policy that would cover the best care for the rest of your life. It's pretty expensive, but for some people, it's the right option. For most people, however, they're going to go into retirement with some options and some assets that they could spend for that care. So you can hedge your bets by deciding to take thing out of long-term care costs and buy a policy that might cover, for example, half of the daily rate and figure that if you have money in retirement funds and you're going to need to be in a long-term care facility in the last couple of years of your life, you'd spend some of your own assets and your insurance would cover some. You can um, buy long-term care insurance that um, has a, um, an exclusion period. And the longer you go, of course, the less expensive it is. So if you have assets, you can buy a policy that's reasonably priced based on covering part of the need. And so when I talk about hedging, that's what I mean. You don't have to go in all the way, but think about what you'll really have. Um, the average person lives in a long-term care facility for about two years, so nice to have coverage for a longer period, but that's the average, so maybe that's a better thing to shoot for. So take the sting out of it and get something reasonably priced. These uh, long-term care policy premiums have gone up dramatically lately, as I understand it, because people have held on to the policies longer, and they've had more claims than their actuaries assumed. And therefore, they're really hitting the new people with much higher premiums, in many cases, unaffordable. So I, I suppose it's possible, but for some people, they're just not going to be able to afford even a stripped-down policy. That's right. So for some people, there is no other option. They will end up on you know, whatever government assistance program there is. And if that's what fits into your life, then it is. Um, if you have assets that you could spend, the decision is to spend them or not, and a discussion with somebody who can show you the various options, um, what happens if you go for a longer period, what happens if you stay at home and have part-time caregivers, and so I think the reality is that people are taking those blended approaches, and so um, the bad news is it becomes a little more complex. The good news is that you can customize that to whatever you think your reality might be and whatever you're willing to spend, So, but yes, for some people, there will be no option because it's, uh, it's not a thing you have to have, and it can be expensive. Indeed. Let's talk about insurance a little bit. You talk about insuring your goals instead of yourself. So what do you mean, what are some of the goals that should insure, and how should you choose between term policies and cash value policies in various ways? Okay, so sometimes the joke that happens in my office is that a uh, husband will look at a wife and say, hey, I'm worth more to you dead than alive. And <laughs> okay, clearly that's not true, but it also can't be true for insurance. You can't insure yourself for more than you're worth, but People um, think about, you know, leaving a big sum of money to their family. I like to turn this one upside down, too, and think about what are you really trying to ensure? So if you've raised children to believe that you're going to send them to college or at least help them with college, think about ensuring that promise if you're not here so that it'll happen whether you go or not. And so then how much would you need to pay for that? That's the cost of coverage. If you have... Um, a spouse and you promise that you're going to have a great retirement together and do all this traveling, uh, what would that cost you? What would you need to have an insurance to, to make that a reality for that person, even if you're gone? So rather than saying, I need to leave, you know, some arbitrary number of millions of dollars, think about the promises that you've made or the things that you want people to have after you're not here. Maybe it's a business need. You want the business to continue after you're gone. Instead of looking at some, you know, arbitrary number that's some multiple of your earnings, think about things that you want people to have and use those numbers. It's a much easier number to swallow. Sometimes it comes out to be the same number, but then you, then you know that you did it for a purpose and not 
because you use some chart of some number that you should have. And how about picking um, between cash value and term policies to cover that need? So term insurance is just what it says. It's meant to cover something for a term. So if you have ch children who are going to graduate from college at 21 years old and be on their own, you have a need for that period to cover them. Once they're 25 years old, you know they're out on their own and they've gone to college with your help, that need no longer exists. So that's a promise with a certain time period that could be covered with term insurance. If you have a business interest, for example, that will be there no matter what day you go, maybe that's a, um, a candidate for a kind of insurance that has a longer period, something like a cash value policy that will cover you for longer periods. So I think when you start looking at things in terms of goals instead of in terms of pots of money, then you begin to sort out which things are temporary and which are permanent. Um, you probably heard in the news recently that the largest single life insurance policy ever sold uh, was just this month. Unfortunately, it wasn't me, but some, some California billionaire just bought a $201 million life insurance policy. You know, there's a person who's buying insurance likely for tax reasons, right, to deal with estate taxes at their death. So if you have that kind of a need, you need a policy that's going to be there longer than 10 or 20 years. And term insurance gets to be very expensive past its initial period. So that's, that's a case for maybe taking advantage of the kind of insurance where you actually build equity in the policy and it lasts for a longer period then. You've had some real-life scenarios where people got made the wrong decisions on insurance. Just give me one or two of those. Sure. I have a client who um, called and said, you know, I'm kind of in a tight squeeze right now. I'd like to cut back my term insurance a little bit, help my daughter out with college. And um, we had a discussion. He decided to hang on to the policy. And about a year later, uh, in his very early 50s, had a freak accident and passed away and Frankly, the daughter was better off, you know, having had the the promise of the payout on the policy than the couple hundred dollars a month he would have saved by cutting it back. I mean, everybody who sells life insurance has all kinds of horror stories. But, you know, I have good stories, too. I have, um, uh, you know, down in Texas right now, we have a great boom in the oil fields here with the shale discoveries. And I have a client who was, you know, thinking about um, helping to take care of a family long term and found that years and years ago, um, a family member had done some work for someone out here and instead of pay, had taken a little share in an oil well and found out years later that it's worth a lot of money. And so they got to, you know, cut back on their insurance because the need no longer existed. So I see it go both ways. Um, it's much cheaper to get when you're young, hang on to it when the need no longer exists, cut it back a little bit. I mean, it's a pretty flexible product if you use it right. Very good. You also talk about paying off mortgages uh, sooner, quicker, or, or slower, and uh, mm -hmm. you, th you think it's good to pay them off eventually, but not to pay them off too fast. What's wrong with prepaying a mortgage? Well, nothing wrong with prepaying a mortgage, and if, if it makes you feel good to know that you don't have a house payment anymore, we can work that into your financial plan. <laughs> but um, these days, with mortgage rates so low, a lot of people have a mortgage that's at 4% or, so, or even lower. If you have money invested um, that's earning more than that, the math doesn't make any sense to prepay a house. Um, once you sink money into the equity of your house, it's hard to get out of it. You can take a home equity loan, but you have to apply for it, qualify for it, and make a second payment. I suggest to people that um, rather than prepaying a house, just think about 
where the math works. Um, if you're young and have many years and your 30-year mortgage is going to be paid off by the time you're 65 and it's at 3.5%, keep that money invested or split the difference, make smaller, make ahead payments. But um, equity in a home is, is not very liquid. It's difficult to get out when you need it. It's a great thing to have to go into retirement without a home house payment. But the adage that a paid-off house is the American dream is, these days doesn't make sense mathematically. So I um, would rather see people save up once they've got to a certain level, maybe then make a couple of dump-in payments to their to their mortgage to lower it down to something that makes them happier. Um, but, uh, you know, if you, if you have a, if you're lucky, one of those people who's got a three and a quarter percent or even lower mortgage, it's a great time to be invested in the market. Last year was a great year. Um, it would have made much more sense to have those payments in your brokerage account than in your, in your mortgage. You have a real-life example of a couple in their 60s that were going to do this. Tell me that story. Yeah, so uh, this is a story that has to do with having a good team. So we talked earlier about a team. You know, if you have a group of people who you can call before you make any major financial decision and just say, this is what I'm thinking, how does this strike you? You might get some ideas that you hadn't thought of. So here's one that happened recently. A couple that I've been working with was going to downsize from the house that they raised their kids in. And of course, downsizing doesn't mean cheaper, it just meant smaller. So they're going to take, they're going to sell the house they raised their kids in and use that money to buy a little, a townhouse or a, a garden home or a condo or something. And I said, you know, before you do that, let me just check into this. And so they're going to pay cash. Well, I ran that dollar amount through a calculator and found that if they took that money and put it into an annuity instead of paying cash, here's what would happen. An annuity with a guaranteed 15-year payout for a 15-year mortgage on the man of the household who was the breadwinner at the time, it would have paid the mortgage off. If he died during the period of the mortgage, the house was paid off. No harm, no foul, same thing, right? No, they're not any further ahead or any further behind. But if he outlived the term of that mortgage, the 15 years, the annuity would keep making a house payment to him, right? So... It just worked out that the money that they were going to spend, $350,000 or so on a house for a 65-year-old man in retirement in a fixed annuity would pay the mortgage for a guaranteed 15 years plus continue to pay him as long as he lived. If he died in the 15-year period, they kept paying the mortgage payment and then stopped. Everything would be the same. But if he lived, again, it would keep making the mortgage payment to him for the rest of his life. It's a no-brainer. So people kind of think the best thing to do automatically is to prepay the mortgage, but you're saying not, not necessarily. There are other ways to use that money better. I'm saying that before you make any major financial decision, call the people you trust and just say, what do you think? It's very likely that the answer is do what you're going to do, but you just may find an idea that you haven't thought of. This is one that this gentleman wouldn't have thought of on his own. Um, if he hadn't called me, we wouldn't have done that. And so... Um, Again, I don't think that the payoff house is a bad thing at all. It's a great thing to have no payment in retirement. However, a major financial decision like that, let's just have a discussion anyway. In this case, it worked out where this is a much more advantageous situation. Very good. We're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Beth Eby. She's the principal at EB Financial in San Antonio, Texas. Her website is ebyfin.com. And we'll be back after this. We're always talking business. 
talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. Are you looking for innovative ideas on how to achieve your financial dreams? Tune in to Empirical Investing Radio every Thursday afternoon at 2 Pacific, 5 Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Join certified financial planners Ken Smith and Ethan Broga to learn how you can obtain financial success. You'll be entertained while you discover techniques to alleviate your financial concerns. Empirical Investing Radio every Thursday at 2 Pacific, 5 Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. Hi, I'm Joe Swedish, CEO of WellPoint. We proudly support the March of Dimes and all they do to reduce the rate of premature birth in the United States. Though premature births have recently declined, still half a million babies are born too soon each year. We're helping the March of Dimes fund cutting-edge research and community programs that help moms and their babies live healthier lives. Please visit MarchofDimes.com and join us in working together for stronger, healthier babies. Whether the market's up or down, or if you're looking to improve your portfolio, our experts are ready to talk to you. Call now. Toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan. Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My uh, guest this hour is Beth Eby, uh, the principal at Eby Financial in San Antonio, Texas, a financial planner there. Her website is ebyfin.com. Welcome back to the show, Beth. Hi, Jordan. We've been talking about insurance and savings. Now let's do something a little more fun, which is spending here. So you say people do things wrong in the spending area. How, how should they spend better? Well, I wouldn't say it's wrong. I just like to look at it at a different angle to get a different perspective. Um, I like to be a contrarian. I, I like to think about spending first. I mentioned earlier that it's a great idea to put your savings on autopilot. But when you do that, it doesn't automatically increase as your income increases. And so sometimes you find yourself, again, with like a $200,000 spending habit and a $50,000 saving habit. If you plan to spend first, so when you sit and do your budget anyway, give yourself a dollar amount that you're going to spend every month. If you're part of a couple, you each get your own. And you don't have to account for this at the end of the month. This is just your fun money. This is what you get for being a hardworking person contributing to the American economy. And so it, it flips the whole discussion about uh, saving and spending on its head, and it makes, it makes you look forward to spending. If you know that every 30 days your spending is replenished and you can look forward to it again, and if you get a little ahead of yourself, you, can, you only have to wait 30 days. We can all do that. And that way, whatever's left at the end of the month gets swept into savings. And this way, you're on a spending budget instead of a saving budget, but you get to see every month that you get some reward for going to work every day. Um, and that way, also, your savings increases as your as your income increases. When there's extra money in there, if you're only spending that dollar amount that you've given yourself, the rest goes into your savings, and it keeps up with your with your um, with your lifestyle. Do you like think, think a couple about, should should have money separately uh, to spend kind of mad money, and you just don't ask the spouse what they're spending it on, just to kind of let them do whatever they want with it? 
Again, if money's not buying you happiness, then I just think something's wrong in this equation. So, yes, I think that everybody who works hard should have money to spend. Every, you know, you take care of other people, you raise children, you pay the mortgage, you contribute your taxes. You ought to have a little money that's your money to spend. And I, and I like this because it makes you think about those big things. If you want to buy a new TV for the house, it may not be in your budget, budget this month. We'll save, you save two months of your little savings best egg, and you get to go do that. And you feel good about it. You get to get up in your driveway every day and get in your new car and feel like, I did this because I worked hard or I saved hard or I negotiated my raise well. And it just makes um, saving not a burden. It makes, your, makes money be a friend of yours instead of something you're fighting against. Because often we feel like our lives and our money are not in sync. We want a certain lifestyle, but our money's not getting us there. And you can have all you want. You just can't have it all today. So if you can wait 30 days or save up for a month or two, then you can have it. So... I, I try to keep people encouraged about money, and that's one of my little tricks. You have a series of small incremental things that you can do. Uh, as you say, big thoughts and small movements can be a powerful combination. So let's mm-hmm. just briefly go through some of the things that people can do that will make a big difference in their life. The first one is what you call a live well budget. What do you mean by that? This, has, this is related to my spending idea. If you make a budget that lets you live well, then you're spending your money purposefully and you're spending it well. And once you spend money well, you never want to spend your money unwell again. You don't want to have that, you know, hole in the bottom of your checkbook where money fritters out. At the end of the month, you feel like, where did it go and what's it all about? If you just budget well for a life well lived, then you can buy a nice bottle of wine or, you know, upgrade your car or buy a nice TV or take a nice vacation. And you begin to, to think about your money in terms of its value for your work. You, I, I like to talk about you days. I say, you know, think about how much you make a day and is, is the thing you're going to do worth a day of your time? If it is, by all means, go enjoy it. Have a great time. You deserve it. If it's not worth it, don't do it. So it turns budgeting upside down. And then as far as investing, what do you say is the way to, to do investing? The little, the little pieces every month are magic. You know, there's, they're magic for a couple of reasons. Small enough that you don't really miss them. Uh, you know, ratchet up your savings every once in a while. You you certainly fritter away twenty dollars a week here and there, a hundred dollars a month here and there. Ratchet up your savings, let it invest. You get you get to take advantage of things like the motion of the market. Uh, down days, you get you you get to buy more. Up days, all the stuff you already bought is worth more. So that makes the motion of the market a good thing for you rather than a bad thing. And so if you're just investing systematically, you get all kinds of great benefits. It's kind of like going to the gym on a regular basis. It's good for you. And then you have what you call the Zen of finances. What is the Zen of finances? You have to rebalance. You know, you set a tolerance level when you have a discussion with someone like me about how much risk you want to take. And so if you have a portfolio that's in 70% in equities, and we have a year like last year, if you didn't watch it, your portfolio is now 90% equities because equities had a great year last year. Now when the market turns, as it will, tomorrow, next year, 10 years from now, that now you have 90% of your portfolio at higher risk. And so the downs are going to be worse than they were if you stop and say, I'm going to be disciplined enough to sell off some of what's doing well and buy some of the other. And when that has its day in the sun, my portfolio as a whole will go up. Um, people who had big losses in the last, in market downturns are, are often people who didn't rebalance and let their portfolios get so out of balance that they took a bigger hit than they would have imagined when they originally set that risk tolerance. So uh, often your portfolios will rebalance automatically if you don't if you if you just set them that way. 
I, much better to be intentional and to make an appointment once a year, once every six months to reset those things. But at the very least, let them reset automatically. The next thing you say is to stay the course. What do you mean by that? I mean, a revolving door means you're going in circles. You know, in and out of the market all the time is difficult. People say we're in a volatile market. I think volatile and market are synonyms of each other. It's just the way it is. And you can make it um, the bane of your existence or you can make it a fact of your life and in some cases a benefit for you. You invest systematically and you hang on. Um, There are things in which we invest that are just dogs and they're time to let them go. But generally, if you stay in and you know you're in it for the long term and you look back and understand history and understand how the market works, stay in because um, buying and selling um, in reaction to the market means, number one, you're always behind. So you're always taking a step after it's already happened. And then you're getting back in when things are higher. So it's kind of like knowing things are on sale one day, but waiting until the, you know, the day they're back to full price to buy them again. So um, if you're systematically investing, stay systematically investing. If you're already retired and your money is in a pot, you need, you need to be more careful about the way that you rebalance. But while in your working years and you're still buying, down days mean things are on sale, so keep going. Then you say control your taxes. We've talked a little bit about IRAs and mm-hmm. 401ks, but what are some of the ways that people can control their taxes in addition to what we've spoken about? Well, one of the benefits of complex tax laws is it means that there are opportunities for you. So work with a good accountant and and understand that tax deferral, like we said earlier, is not an end-all and be-all. Think about knowing you're going to have to pay one day or another. Think about what's to your advantage. Think about, um, you know, estate taxes, plan for them. Um, Take advantage of the opportunities to do things like Roth IRAs, Roth 401ks, and um, instead of just you know, complain that we have to pay taxes, really look into what are your opportunities. So use your team, your advisor, your banker, your accountant, and your estate planning attorney and see where there are advantages and uh, don't just blindly follow the tax-deferred train and assume that you're going to be okay. And then your final one is to maximize the value of work-related benefits. you think most people do not take full advantage of their employee benefits? I can tell you that the day I started a job in state government, I leaned over to the guy next to me. I said, hey, which box did you check? And five years later, I was still in that box. <laughs> this is not a good system. You know, you really need to take advantage of these things. They're given to you, so sometimes we don't value them, but they do have tremendous value. So um, my clients come into the office, and they always bring their 401k statements, and we always talk about how they fit into their portfolio. I recently did a review with someone and realized that, you know, they had been new at work and hadn't signed up yet, so we had some things in a brokerage account we were managing, and I realized that in their 401k, they were invested in very similar things, and so we were not taking advantage of all the diversity that's available. So we looked at their 401k and made some choices there and some in their, in their brokerage account to make them match each other and to work as an entire portfolio. That's where you maximize those things. You make them work for you. Uh, sometimes the benefits that you get at work, your life insurance, your disability, and that kind of thing are the best you can do. But it doesn't cost you anything to call someone like me and say, hey, run me um, a quote on some insurance of this type or that type and compare it. And that way you'll know that you've got the best. Sometimes if you're the younger, healthier one at work, you're subsidizing the older, um, less healthy people with maybe bad lifestyle choices, and you can do better on your own on the outside. So just ask the questions and really make those things work for you. In summing up in about a minute we have left, kind of what difference will it make to people's life to follow some of the advice you've given in the last hour compared to kind of bumbling along and not really dealing with these issues? Well, again, like the train that's off on five degrees, 
sometimes I find an opportunity to make tremendous changes in someone's lifestyle. You know, sometimes we find money that's been sitting. Uh, we recently found a checking account with $200,000 in it. That's money that could have been making some money, could have made a significant impact over time. But often it's small changes. But small changes multiplied over long term, just like your health, um, can make a big impact. So if you and another guy at the office are sitting side by side and doing the same and, and, and with the same income and one of you is making your money work just a little harder and the other one uh, just chugging along, if you get, for example, an extra double between now and retirement, and so sometimes that's just a couple of percentage points multiplied over years can give you a double, an extra double in the amount in your 401k, you want to be the guy with half the amount or twice the amount in retirement. So it's worth the investment to just look at that little 5% of effort and what it can do for you. Very good. Well, little changes can make big differences in the long run. My guest this hour has been Beth Eby. She's the principal at Eby Financial in San Antonio, Texas. Her website is ebyfin.com. Thanks so much for being a guest on The Money Answer Show, Beth. My pleasure, Jordan. Thank you. And we'll be back with another edition of The Money Answer Show next week. Goodbye for now. Thank you for joining Jordan Goodman and The Money Answer Show. If you have a question for Jordan, please visit his website at www.moneyanswers.com. And be sure to tune in every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time right here on Voice America Business. See you next week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 